Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. Before introducing you to today's guest, let me remind you about Tipsy Tea, this really gorgeous, gorgeous, also gorgeous looking brand of liqueurs based around tea that have been sponsoring the podcast. Absolutely amazing. Three gorgeous flavors, spiced chai, pink peppercorn and root ginger. And they're delicious, hot or cold with either hot water or sparkling cold water and a splash of lemon and if you use the code CTAF short for chatting to a friend when you check out you will get a free measure branded measure and the branding is just beautiful anyway we're so grateful to them because I have loved having them as a sponsor and so please go to tipsyt.co.uk and snap it up a few weeks ago i came across an Instagram story that pointed me in the direction of a paediatric doctor living in England who was also a cyclocross racer. And I thought, she sounds brilliant. So I started following her on Instagram. And indeed, she was very funny, very authentic, very down to earth, very humble, I guess is the right word. And I approached her and asked her to be on the podcast. And to my absolute delight, Dr. Phoebe Snedden said yes. This is a really fun conversation. She's exactly as I thought she would be. She's funny, she's fun, she's self-deprecating, but she is a massive advocate of finding something that you love. And if it's sport, then so much the better, but just finding something you love so that you have a better chance in life, so that your mental health improves and you can get some sort of joy out of outside of as she says likes on Instagram and views on TikTok it's a great chat she's very inspiring she's very funny she's very down to earth and if you want to follow her you can catch her on Instagram and Twitter and they're both the same handle it's at Snedatron I'll put it in the notes Now, I've started a new thing. I am asking each of my guests to set me a challenge in their area of expertise. And I forgot to ask Phoebe on the podcast because it's a new thing and I forgot. But she emailed me afterwards. And if you want to hear what it is she challenged me to do, then stick around till the end of the podcast and I'll let you know. Enjoy. Hi, Phoebe. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm a bit jealous of your name, actually. I don't know, you maybe don't know this, but we probably don't. But I always wanted to have a Phoebe, like a little girl called Phoebe. And then I married a man called Friend. And it just was (laughs) all wrong. I just thought everybody, (laughs) everyone would be like, yeah, you weirdo. So uh, I'm delighted to actually chat to a Phoebe. That makes me very happy. (laughs) Oh, well, my name, when I was little, my name was quite unusual. So it was an old granny's name as I was when I was growing up. And then there was a Phoebe and neighbors and a, and a Phoebe and friends and it be- gradually became a bit more, a bit more popular. So now it's, it's kind of trendy. So I'm happy now. Yeah. That was not I can imagine. <laughs> no, no. Well, I don't know what it is. I just always thought it was the most beautiful name. And then loads of my friends that sort of younger, co- like cousins and stuff, they've got Phoebes and I'm like, <laughs> not fair. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I came across you on Instagram, uh, after probably a photo that you don't particularly like of yourself um (laughs) as you said in the thing now you are a pediatric doctor in the NHS and uh as probably anyone who's been in and around the NHS of late will tell you uh, it's it's not been an easy year um and you had been drafted in is that right you are a pediatric doctor you've been drafted in as an, an adult ICU nurse yeah it was Um, a bit of a role change and um so and you posted this picture of yourself completely your face all red and sore and dented from wearing the PPE all day um do you want to tell us a little bit about that and then we'll go back to talk about what you do uh, on a daily basis yeah so we um so I'm a pediatric doctor I currently work in pediatric intensive care uh, um in Nottingham and um 
we had been discussing as a team how we could support our adult ICU colleagues. And one of the options was to open up some of our pediatric beds to adult patients. Um, but we, we were hesitant to do that because we are seeing some children who are sick with COVID and we also needed to keep those beds in case a child, you know, was run over or there was a bad accident or they were just very unwell. And we, we still are seeing sick children. So we had to think of another way that we could support um, our adult colleagues because we haven't been anywhere near as busy as they have. Um, and so one of the options was to, to volunteer to go um, as a, a nurse buddy, um, I think was the technical term, um, and nurse some adult ICU patients because they've got plenty of doctors because one doctor can probably look after 10 or 15. I mean, it'd be, you'd be very stretched, but you could you could look after quite a lot of patients, but in intensive care, you know, it should be one-to-one -one nursing. And I think at that point, our hospital had 500 plus COVID patients and a large proportion of them were in intensive care. And we, we weren't even in our intensive care unit. I was in a, a makeshift um, ICU in our adult theatres. In fact, I was in the recovery room of one of the theatres. So I was just in a tiny kind of cupboard, really, with a patient, uh, me, <laughs> some drugs, uh, some equipment, and not a whole lot of clue what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, uh, my experiences of pediatric and neonatal intensive care have at least taught me a little bit about intensive care nursing, although mm. I was somewhat substandard compared to the, the proper nurses. Um, they did really look after me, but it was a real um, eye-opening experience, to be honest, because I didn't post that picture to to highlight the fact that we that I was working in adult intensive care because many of us have been redeployed. I posted it because I wanted to write about my experiences of being treated differently as a nurse mm. than if I was a doctor. And I, I currently work as a registrar in pediatric intensive care, which is, I guess, a, a position of that, that sometimes demands quite a bit of respect because usually you're the person that's called when no one else knows what to do and a child is extremely unwell. So... Mm. Uh, when I come down and I start asking for things people listen to me and then to mm -hmm. go to be a an adult ICU nurse um, it was just a, a very humbling experience when people came in ignored everything that I said sometimes didn't even speak to me I mean I know mm -hmm. everyone and everyone's stressed but it it really highlighted you know to me that the importance of how you communicate to the other members of your team at some of the sometimes a the members of your team that get forgotten about I suppose mm. um, and they're far more important than me uh, most of our patients get better because they have good nursing care not not just yeah. because of the decisions that, <laughs> that we make it was, it was a humbling experience to say the least well I, I know having been a patient in hospital and having had a child in hospital as well the people you see the most are the nurses they're the ones that are there every time you you know bing the bell and you see the doctor maybe once a day if you're lucky. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it is, I guess, important. I have a friend who is a plastic surgeon. She does sort of not fake boobs, but sort of skin grafts <laughs> for cancer and that sort of type of plastic surgeon. And yeah. she's tiny. She's absolutely teeny tiny, um, probably about the size of my 12-year-old. And she's the same age as me. So she's been doing this for a very long time. And she... Uh, says that very often they, they, she gets looked through and says, when's the doctor coming? Yeah, and I think that that happens to me as well. Uh, as well. And I, I'm quite tall, but I just, I don't fit, I still don't fit the perceived impression of or look of what people think a doctor should look like. Um, mm. Do you think that's, that's still the, the case in this day and age? It strikes me as absolutely crazy, <laughs> but I guess there must be people that still don't see a woman and think, well, this is a senior doctor. I went for my second vaccination this weekend. They said, is it Miss, M Ms or Mrs? And I was huh. like, oh, I just couldn't be bothered to make a scene. So I just said, oh, it's Ms. And the man behind me, she said, oh, is it doctor or mister? No. Oh, God, this is in the hospital that I work in. And I was <sighs> a badge that said, Dr. Phoebe Snedden. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> <Sorry>. word. <laughs> I just no one yeah and I think the more you when I first started as a doctor I, did, I didn't think about it in the same way and it didn't bother me as much but now I'm 
old and grumpy and, <laughs> and also I distinctly because I am separated I distinctly hate having my title sort of dictate my marital status and I've never been a mm. missus I never changed my name I, I've always just been Dr Sneddon that's what I wanted to be um and yeah and then I sort of feel this like churning in a shame when I go no I, 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 actually it's it's Dr Sneddon not not Mrs Sneddon <laughs> I know as if you have to apologize for the I fact know. that you've been through several thousand <laughs> hours of medical training <laughs> oh. oh my word yeah because I have quite a lot of conversations with some of the other women I've uh, interviewed and it's all similar none of them have been doctors but it's all sort of similar kind of you know a couple of weeks ago I was chatting to a woman who ended up being a flight director for the Columbus Space Station and just you know the sort of misconception or the misrepresentation of a woman in in any kind of senior role seems to be just staggering you know and uh, round the world yachtswomen you know, still going, there are girls that give up sailing because they're too embarrassed to ask to go to the loo. You know, it's just this (laughs) kind of like crazy, oh. I think it's something that, um, like it comes from being under, I think there's something about being those kind of people uh, that comes from being underestimated. And I think Mm. everyone, like people always considered me too small, too weedy. I was never physically very strong. Mm. too blonde too stupid so there's like an inner drive to always prove people wrong and always be better Mm. than people think of you and I think when I speak to other women who've done similar things to me it's this kind of oh I was told so many times that I couldn't do it so I had to do it Mm. Um, I think (laughs) if people just accepted that we could do it probably there would be less of us yeah oh then but then it always makes me worry about the girls that don't have that inner drive the ones that believe that they're too small, too blonde, too stupid, whatever it might be, that just go, oh, okay then. Mm. You know, because not all women have that sort of inner, in fact, many don't. You know what I mean? That's just kind of, if you're told often enough, you believe it, rather than if you're told often enough, you go, screw you, I'm going to prove you wrong. I know, and I don't know how we, how we instill that into young women today. I, I just it's something I worry about greatly for my own child because I just think Mm. oh gosh you know she looks she's you know she's going to be just like me the same build and everything and it's you know it's too easy to be like oh I can't do it I'm not I'm not strong enough or I'm just a girl or all these awful cliches Mm. that you hear women say and how old is she she's four yeah well I can tell you I have a 10 year old blonde daughter and she she does boxing Oh, that's and good. she snowboards and she skis and I have just spent much of her life going do whatever you, do what you want to do like do some kick-ass I'm I'm using quote marks obviously this is audio so you can't see boy <laughs> sports but like you know she rides yeah. her bike she swims she does triathlon and I just and I didn't grow up in a particularly sporty environment or no that's not true I did not grow up sporty but I married a very sporty man and it has been an absolute revelation for me how much sport makes a huge difference to that inner belief that sort of self-confidence and um I know that you are a cyclocross racer were you a sporty child no absolutely not (laughs) I was woeful (laughs) I was absolutely (laughs) woeful at sport um, I played a bit of hockey and I was always willing to get stuck in. So I was always that kid, you know, it'd be house sports day and someone would have to do each, you know, they'd have to be a volunteer for each activity. So I'd be like, oh, no one wants to do 1500 metres or, you know, everyone wants to do long jump because that's like relatively painless. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, well, I'll do 1500 metres and then I'd be, you know, minutes down on the finisher and everyone would be clapping because people were kind of nice and they feel a bit sorry for you. And I'd just be, you know, mortified. And uh, and my dad was always like, oh, it's a Snedden's place to be last. You know, it's oh, you, no. you should be last. You know, you, you suffered being last so somebody else didn't have to suffer it. So, you know, you can be proud of that. And I know it was his way of being nice, but oh my God, did I just want to not be last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so did you find... I think that's really amazing having 
because I was totally non-sporty. I hated playing sport. I, I like, I really hated it. I'd use any excuse to just, you know, I hated being picked last, but I knew I would be because everyone knew that I was just always absolutely freaking useless. Um, and I wonder, like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taken by that fact that you, you were game for it, even though you didn't like it. Did, did that give you, did that, what did that give you? Or how, where did that come did, from? Yeah, like I wanted, I think you always want to be the thing that you're not. So I desperately wanted to be, you know, we desperately wanted to be one of those kind of cool girls that was on the hockey team or the netball team. I, I pretty much hated netball. I, I never understood why anyone was enthusiastic for that sport. It had no purpose <laughs> to me, but I loved hockey and I did try. You know, I was a trier, but I was, I was, I was rubbish. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, I wanted to be one of those people. So I, I sort of wholeheartedly threw myself into it. And then, and then maybe I suppose there was that t- sort of teenage years where it, it felt, um, you know, very uncool, I suppose, to, to mm. want to be good at sport. Um, but I went to a, a different sixth form, which was a, a boys' school that took girls for sixth form. And they mm-hmm. took a much more laid back approach to sport because they hadn't really got girls' teams because they were still sort of integrating girls into the school. So we played mixed sport and um, we played mixed hockey and, and we went climbing on a Wednesday because I went to school in Sheffield. So climbing was a, mm. a big deal. And it was like, oh, these kind of things, you know, when the pressure's off and you're just doing it because you're a lanky 17 year old and everyone's joining in it, mm-hmm. it was much more enjoyable and I think that changed my opinion you know you didn't need to be like none of us the the hockey kids were the rejects you know people went off and played rugby fine but we just went and had a quick game of hockey on a Wednesday afternoon and and none of us were any good at it so it was fine it didn't matter <laughs> and there uh, and I think I just wish that you know that that kind of slightly less competitive element I mean there's always a bit of competition for sport but you know it doesn't have to be competitive you know Mm. yoga and all those other kind of things you know I just wish there was a bit more breadth to it at at school because not everyone is a team sport or a ball sport person Mm -hmm. Um, and do you think it's that kind of change of attitude or that change of way of looking at things would help with what we were just talking about earlier about the sort of confidence that girls would have if it's just fun and it's something you can do for I'm such a, 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 you know, yoga and I'm wittering now, but just so important for mental health, apart from anything else, just to have something fun that it's, that you enjoy doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I see a lot of, in my line of work, I see a lot of young people and I see a lot of very damaged young people. And I see a lot of eating disorders. I see a lot of self-harm. I see a lot of mental illness. Mm. Um, and I know that one of the biggest protective factors is having an interest outside of school, like, mm. you know, just a hobby, whatever it is, you know, whatever, whether it's sport, whether it's, you know, anything else that you have something that gives you a sense of self-worth and a sense of purpose that is separate from likes on Instagram, views on yeah. TikTok, how people perceive you at school. and I'm. I'm always so heartbroken when I say, you know, we have to, I take, we have to take quite in-depth histories from our mm. teenage patients about all different aspects of their life to try and understand what's kind of causing the problem. And uh, you say, oh, kind of, what do you enjoy when you're not at school? Nothing. No, I'll go out with my friends. There's no, there's yeah. nothing there. And I, I, I think from a young age, we should be championing grassroots participation in anything like I don't, yeah. I don't really care what it is as long as you have some kind of passion but you know when you look at the discrepancies in with poverty and deprivation and the health inequalities in this country which obviously the pandemic is just mm. making and the current government is making worse and worse you know we were discussing which sports were cheap and which sports were more expensive and I said, oh, kind of swimming must be relatively cheap. Like you just need, a, you know, you don't need any equipment. You just need a swimming mm. costume and, and goggles maybe and, you know, an enthusiasm. And my friend's partner said, yeah, but you need a parent who can get up and take you to the swimming pool every day, you yeah. know, at five o'clock in the morning. You need a parent that isn't at work. You need someone who is willing to do that, Yeah, you know, and isn't trying to look after five other children or, you know, put food on the, t- you know, what 
what if you want to go to the swim you've got a single mom you need to go to the swimming pool and your three other siblings are at home you, you can't do it and when you think about the the barriers that are there for those kind of children yeah like it it, it seems sort of impossible for them that it and I just impossible. I just wish we could we could we could just make sport and and just you know hobbies and things so much more accessible yeah because I was just thinking I was while you were talking there I was just thinking about you know running you just stick on a pair of trainers but for girls or for people in minority as we've seen in America people in of people of color and minority groups sometimes that's not a safe thing to be doing no no way you I mean could you would you be happy for your 10 11 year old daughter to go out running on her own <laughs> You know, well, I, I I would because I live in the smallest, safest village in Switzerland. But no, yeah. in general, no, you're right. <laughs> not probably around, you know, inner city Sheffield. Or no, Nottingham. no, definitely not. No, uh, uh, yes, that's a very good point. Um, and so your role as a doctor, you know, you sort of you're an emergency care, but you've sort of touched there on. Obviously, a lot of those things do become emergencies, but stuff that you've seen that is more chronic, more long term. We see everything. <laughs> mm. That's the joy of pediatrics. That's why I chose it. You know, I do everything. I'm a emergency doctor. I'm an intensive care doctor. I'm a psychiatrist at times. I'm a counselor. Yeah. I'm a social worker. I'm a mum. <laughs> yeah. Know, do everything. And when did you, and did, did you always want to be a doctor? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm the fifth generation of Dr. Snedden. Wow. Uh, so my parents aren't doctors. Um, but my uncle is a doctor, my grandparents on my dad's side, and then back far back, yeah, they're all it's a very we're a very medical family. I can't remember a time. I think briefly I wanted to be a racing car driver, but I can't remember any <laughs> other time any other career that particularly took my took my interest. I was so obsessive as a small child um that our spare room was converted into a a miniature ward it had a couple of extra beds in it. and my sister I would do a ward round and the bears would be the patients and my sister would be the nurse my younger sister who was <laughs> bullied mercilessly by me <laughs> for most of her childhood and we would operate on the bears and sew them up and sew different arms on them and yeah that's <laughs> I mean, <so> cool <laughs> <laughs> and did you always know you wanted to be a pediatric doctor or did that come later um that came later so originally I wanted to join the military and be a military doctor ah, yeah. uh, for quite a long time um but I was a really rubbish soldier so I I had a go <laughs> I had to go at being in the military whilst I was at university I did a bit of kind of uh officer training and I, mm. I was I was the one of the worst soldiers I think I've ever had and why I how come um I, I struggled physically a little bit. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I'd been at university, so I'd been partying very hard mm. and not, not doing any training. Um, I struggled to take orders. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I'm a very hungry person, so I'm always hungry and I have to eat almost constantly. And um, I did swap my magazines of ammunition for bourbon biscuits uh, and so I just left them on the side and shoved my ammo pouches full of snacks and biscuits and then I hadn't really this was quite early on I hadn't appreciated that you needed to you do a declaration as, as to how many like what ammunition you've got on you and I, I hadn't realized this so everyone stood there with their pouches open and their weapon kind of cleared so they can prove they haven't got any or you know they can state mm -hmm. how much ammunition they've got and I didn't have any I just had biscuits <laughs> and I was like where's blank ammunition I'll just shout bang it's fine I'd rather just be full of food oh my god <laughs> and so, what was the reaction yeah. to that I think I had to do a lot of press-ups which obviously yeah. I was rubbish at so then they just kept making me do more because I kept you know collapsing <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a great experience and I loved it and I made friends for life from that and it really introduced me to to people who just wanted that bit more out of life like I was at university everyone just got drunk all week and then slept mm. all weekend and I'd I'd come from a background where we were always up and dressed and doing stuff at the weekends and I was windsurfing before I, and teaching windsurfing and I was busy 
all, all the time and I just mm. I couldn't cope with that pace of life at university so mm. when I found this it filled my time and I met all these people that you know got to the weekend and yeah they could party really hard but also we could go out and do really fun adventures in the day so yeah I did love it and uh but I would have been a rubbish soldier <laughs> <laughs> and and so then how did so you you moved away from army medic as a career <laughs> yeah I crossed that one off the list <laughs> yeah yeah check no no good and and then and presume where were you at uni uh so I was at Nottingham Nottingham yeah. and so you were studying to be a uh well I mean Crikey, I remember from being at university that the medics were always the wildest partiers. That's just, the, <laughs> yeah. that, that was the law, I seem to remember. Um, and then, uh, and then, so when did paediatrics come into the mix? Uh, so as a junior doctor, you do six different jobs in the first two years, um, four month rotations. And I, mm. I picked a variety because I wasn't really sure. And I, to be fair, I enjoyed them all. Um, and I thought I'd be a I thought I'd, I took an extra year after that to try and decide which specialty to, to go for. And I applied for emergency medicine and I applied for pediatrics and I, and I, and I thought, oh, I'll just get one and then I can choose. And then I got both and I still couldn't decide. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I chose pediatrics because basically I'm inherently, um, impatient and in pediatrics everything moves a little bit quicker so children Mm. get sick really quickly but they get better really quickly and Mm. if you ring up and say I'm the pediatric registrar and I want this that and the other doing it it happens and it happens that day whereas in adults everything takes three days if it's the weekend nothing happens I just I found the pace of it just so frustrating and I I just couldn't bear how inefficient you know that people just ordered tests for the sake of ordering tests no one Mm. applied I mean, that's not true of all. I should probably not generalize, but <laughs> in pediatrics, you know, no one's doing a blood test on your child because it's, you know, terrifying for them. It's stressful yeah. for me. If it doesn't need to be done, I'm not doing it. I will use my clinical judgment and we'll use other other things. And I just enjoyed so much more that there was that bit of a bit more thought and a bit more, I don't know, it, it was just a slightly different way of, of working. I don't partic- I didn't particularly love children, which I know always surprises people. <laughs> I'm not a sort of Mary Poppins esque, you know. If I, I if I was like that, I would have been a primary school teacher. I, I mm. you know, I, I I like children who are sick <laughs> at <Yeah>. work. <laughs> yeah, I have no Fair desire enough. to look after other people's children at weddings, which is what people always assume. <laughs> oh, really? Do they? They're like, oh, she's a pediatrician. She'll like want to look after all the children. I'm like, no, I don't want them. I will be very drunk and I don't want them anywhere near me. <laughs> no, run away, run away. <laughs> I'm pretending I'm back in the army. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I, but I do, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of love for my job. Uh, I complain about it a lot, but I, I feel like it, there's, I'm deeply passionate about, children and young people in this country and how badly they are treated by the system um, and mm. the government and and it and yeah it just if I can do anything I, I mean most of my frustrations around work are that I just I cannot do enough I can I can fix whatever medical problem you've come to me with but I cannot change the fact that your life is awful mm. and I and that is a I still haven't made my I hope never to make my peace with that because it will probably mean that I don't drive you know certain things that work hard enough but uh, mm. it, yeah sometimes I have to let let it go and have a glass of wine and sit down <laughs> yeah well no because I've been following you on on Instagram for a while and you're you're it's that's quite clear your passion for that you know and the the, the state that the country is currently in because of you know yeah. because for for whatever reason and I I, I admire that I, lo- I loved your Twitter thing about, about the mass demonstration <laughs> about invite tell us about that because that was hilarious that made me giggle so hard <laughs> I was just sitting there thinking I am so angry I mean I'm just angry all the time at the moment and I know it's lockdown and mm. you know everything's rubbish and I haven't been able to go on holiday and but I haven't suffered in lockdown. You know, my mum says things to me like, you still get to go to work. Like, <laughs> yeah. wrapping your PPE on for 12 hours is a luxury now. That's how bad things are. Yeah. And I just thought, there cannot be anyone out there that is not angry with this situation. Mm. And then in my mind, I was thinking, well, teachers must be cross. Firemen must be cross. Because they are, they are already at odds with the government. And the poli- police must be 
they've got loads of police cuts. And I, I just com- started to compile this list. And then it was like, anyone who voted for Brexit. And then it was like, you know, and then realised that it was a load of rubbish. Anyone who didn't vote for Brexit. anyone. <laughs> and then I was like, all the people from the Black Lives Matters, you know, they must be cross. So I was like, well, anyone who isn't a racist, they'll have to come. And it just, all women, all, you know, because I was like, well, pregnant people and mothers. And, and then when you read how you know badly women have been penalized because of the the lockdown and the pandemic I'm like well they're mm. all coming and old people and people who work in care homes and then the, the list just spiraled out yes. <laughs> I know and I think I made a comment on your thing saying and, and I know it's not supposed to be funny because it's <laughs> actually deadly serious and you said well if you can't laugh you you know if you can't laugh you'd cry and I was like yeah that's really true because you know I've lived a very different I'm British, but I've lived in Switzerland for a long time. So I've lived a very different uh, lockdown to anyone in the UK. But I just, I thought, yeah, you're so, you're so right. Everyone is just over this shit. Like, (laughs) and how, you know, finally they've got their act together and it seems to be like, you know, they're rolling out the vaccines like crazy people. But yeah, (laughs) I love, I do love your passion for it, regardless of, well, whatever anyone's politics are I just I find that really refreshing and I follow quite a lot of people that get told if you want to keep followers you should stop being so political and they're all like yeah well screw you don't follow me then like I lost a load of followers after that did you but I I, I don't have a particularly big following and Mm. also you know I am not my job is not social media so I I don't care and I think sometimes people find that like vaguely refreshing because I have a real job, so I don't. Yeah. And I say that's probably. I'm sure influencers would consider that that, that patronising. But you know, hey, it is a real job. It is an actual it's a job. Very real job, and you must go to Dubai <laughs> in order to keep everyone feeling better. But um, I don't like. It doesn't matter to me. You know, if you don't want to follow yeah. me, fine. Like I, I don't make. I don't make my content for for those kind no. of people. Like it, I just. I spend most of my time posting pictures because I want other women to to think oh yeah like she's just like a normal ordinary person doing cool stuff I could Mm. get out on my bike and ride it you know and camp over and ride back it's not that difficult yeah no I I totally and I love that because that's part of the reason I started this podcast was to just you know, speak to, well, partly it's purely selfish, partly because I just, I literally, I've said this before, but I literally just choose women. I think I would like to sit next to at a dinner party and <laughs> go, Ooh, you sound interesting. Let's have a good old chin wag. Um, but m- uh, the other side is that I just think there's so many women doing so many amazing things and women's stories don't always get told. And when you come, when it comes down to it, all these women doing amazing things they're all just women like the rest of us doing something they've found something that they love or they're passionate about and if that in any way can inspire anybody to do something different or more or change or I don't know I just that's why I wanted to do it and also again purely selfishly I have learned so much from talking to all these incredible women um, so let's go on uh, because you've mentioned the cycling. So I want to talk about that. Um, you didn't get into cycling till reasonably, well, I wouldn't say late on because you're not old, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, later, on. Said, <laughs> later on. Yes. Tell, talk to me about that. Um, so my, yeah, the, the cycling. So my dad's a cyclist, mm. um, but he's like a, he's a, you know, 100 miles a day very slow steady ride to a cafe kind of cyclist 100 miles a day and, yeah like his like you know if you do less than you know it, it, he's a bit older now so he's in his 60s but he wouldn't um he wouldn't classify you know if you're like oh I did a long ride he's like that's not a long ride <laughs> <laughs> um but so when we were growing up you know I have fun semi-fond memories of um riding on the back of a tandem with my dad to cycling club events and we'd enter like the odd 
time trial together and but there was something always so inherently embarrassing about your dad turning up to things in Lycra <laughs> and I think it just traumatized he won't mind me saying this but he just traumatized us and I think it really put us off um so yeah we never both my sister and I never really showed any enthusiasm for it whatsoever um and I think we probably I certainly my sister I think actively shunned any involvement whatsoever she did ride on the back of the tandem a little bit on family holidays and stuff Mm. but mainly because then she didn't actually have to pedal her own bike yeah um (laughs) and then I went to university and I as like I said I, I did some military training and that sort of sparked a bit more of an enthusiasm in terms of I guess keeping fit I'd always been um I worked in water sports I could sail and windsurf and I, I worked at our local water sports center and I did some competitive windsurfing so like I, I had an, a, some enthusiasm for being like outdoors and sports but not really for like physical fitness I, I we just windsurfed I didn't really think too much about being fit for it mm. and all of a sudden I needed to be fit for the for the military stuff and uh and uh, so when I came home on weekends to, to see my parents, I was like, oh, go on then. I'll go for a bike ride with with my dad. And also I would missed him. So we'd, we'd mm. ride to a cafe and have cake and ride back. And, and Which is, as it, as every cyclist knows, the best part of a bike ride. <laughs> exactly. like, that's the whole purpose, in my opinion. Anyway, there's go on. No other, there's no <laughs> other other point to it. And then um, I met my ex-husband, Chris, and he he was a kind of, he was into racing and he was, kind of very you know shaved legs full lycra very enthusiastic mm. for it and I went to watch him race and I was like I mean this doesn't look very hard and I'm very <laughs> bored standing here I think that I should probably have a go at it um which caused all sorts of trouble because I think he was kind of hoping for a girlfriend that would you know stand at the sideline and do some cheering yes <laughs> and, and, like... and hold and hold the thermos <laughs> flask <laughs> And it just snowballed from there. I just, I guess, you know, it is a very addictive, it is a really addictive sport. And and also at that point, I just about qualified as a doctor and life as a, as a junior doctor at times is so harrowing and so miserable. You know, we'd work 12 mm. days straight. We would be working 12, 13 hours a day. You're so terrified all the time of making a mistake or, you know cocking something up and and you're over you're you're overtired you're overthinking everything Mm. and then just to go out for a bike ride on a on a Saturday morning on a weekend off it was like it was just this amazing sense of relief and it it, did there was no it was just I don't know it really made me feel so much better so I think from there it just it got just got more and more and I started racing the the racing was pretty small with us and we had three women in our like league and I was third all the time <laughs> or last as my dad would say I was gonna say um, it's the Snedden's place <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and I I just suddenly had like things to aim for and goals and stuff to train for and I mm. I, I just yeah it just spiraled out of control essentially mm. um, more and more bikes arrived and then I realized I joined a race team I don't really know why I got onto the team, to be honest, because I was certainly not talented enough, but I was very enthusiastic. And, and I, I think people just recognized that I was kind of, yeah, helpful and friendly. So, um, and I made my bestest friends from that team. And this is all cyclocross? All cyclocross. Yeah, I've raced on the road a bit. Um, I went and did the tour of Malta and managed to fall off before we'd even started. Nice, um, good work. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I've done a bit of mountain bike racing, but I find that quite stressful. Like I'd rather ride my mountain bike for stress relief rather than mm. increased stress. I'm not a very brave rider. And what, what for those who don't know, tell us what is cyclocross compared to mountain biking or, or other? So cyclocross, it's, it's a bike that looks like a, it looks a bit like a road bike, but it's got, um, knobbly tires and disc brakes and, and a bit more clearance for the mud um, and you race around a circuit an off-road circuit it's usually it's not as gnarly as a mountain bike course and they're quite fast races so they last about 50 minutes to an hour mm. and it, I started it because we have quite a good local league here and it it didn't matter you could you could be the slowest person at the back no one would ever notice because people are going round and round so mm. No one knows if you're on lap two or lap five. 
it yeah. makes no difference. You know, but no one else watching knows. And that, mm. and I think there was such a deep sense of like shame of being last or people laughing at me or what if yeah. I do this and people will think I'm silly or, and I still have that or horrible, you know, I, I, I've, despite my best efforts, I, I can't get rid of that. Mm. Um, and, but it didn't seem to matter. And if you can't do something in cyclocross, there's no, like you're actively encouraged to get off and run. So <laughs> I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. I can't ride down that. So I'll get off and run. No one thought any, no one thinks, oh, look at that stupid woman. She can't ride down it. People think <laughs> yeah. she, she must think it's quicker to run. Like, and she's yeah. running quite well. And then she jumps back on and, and it's, this, you know, if you can't get up something again, you just get off and run. So, and everyone else was getting off and running. I was like, this mm. is amazing. There's no pressure to have to do anything. You just blend in with everybody else. And then you finish and it's cold and it's muddy and you have this, you know, the endorphins are amazing Mm. I just thought why would anyone do any different well I have to say it reminds me when you speak like that of um I've done uh well I've just entered the marathon de sable for next year so that's my like I know I've had a complete rush of blood to the head but I did the half marathon de sable in 2018 which is 120k ultramarathon and I entered when I had only ever run 12 kilometers in my whole life like as a the biggest run I'd ever done and everyone's like but you don't run and I'm like yeah but do you know what I discovered that the cutoff times are super generous most people do power walking nobody cares that you're not like Mo Farah and and they're like well why don't you do this race and I'm like because there's only 30 people in it and then everyone will see that I'm last <laughs> whereas no, exactly. in a big ginormous field of people who are kind of half bumbling half running and then of course there's the super dupers at the top you know no one's gonna notice I'm just gonna do my thing and and so I totally a hundred percent get that like you can get into it without as you say that deep horror like that horror of going I'm so slow I'm so embarrassing and I don't really know what I'm doing and once you let that feeling like get into your head I think you just go slower and slower and slower in yeah my experience. yeah I just I I, I love I, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy the long distance for the same reason the long distance like bike racing you just you turn up there's no pressure to be fast you've just got to keep going and mm. and I know that I can keep going I remember we did a the first one Nat my best mate and I did across Scotland it's two days we knew we were going to have to ride all day and then sleep and then get up and ride all day again and I thought well I do that at work like I do 14 hour 15 hour days go to sleep yeah. turn back up again after six hours and start all over again like it at least no one's going to die hopefully <laughs> like just gotta keep, <laughs> yeah. we've just got to keep pedaling I mean admittedly I think we did suffer a little more than I did at work because of the food issue <laughs> um, oh yes <laughs> I was hungry um but it yeah I just I think that people have so much more inside of them that they believe than than they believe particularly women and I mm. I just I wish so much that people would just think do you know what like I'm just gonna have a go at that and it doesn't there's no shame in fail like even in failing even just Mm. just go and try it doesn't matter oh no I totally I couldn't agree with you more and and I didn't I really did not take up sport until I was uh nearly 40 and I wish I mean there's no point in regretting these things because you know tis what it is but it just sort of I project it onto my kids I'm like just do it just try just go it doesn't matter if you're last or if you are if you end up hating it, you just try something else, but just say yes, try it. And um, I was interviewing somebody just the other day, and um, these uh, four mums who rode across the Atlantic, um, they were sort of in their late 40s, early 50s, and they just all said, bugger it, we're going to go. And she said, one of them said, you never have the time, you've got to make the time, and you've got to say yes and just figure it out afterwards. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like it just, I, I, people like you were asked at the beginning or you know how does how do you do everything and I my stock response is oh, I'm just really bad at everything <laughs> I just do everything at a really mediocre level like I I just I just turn up and do the best I can do on that day and mm. you know try not to worry too much about it you know you you're never going to be 
I know that when I go to races, I'm not going to be as fit and strong as a 25 year old who's living at home and training 20 hours yeah. a week. But then I get a different sense of achievement from it because I've managed to work and sort Sabine out and she's come to watch and, you know, and that's I your daughter. Finish my race. Yeah. Ah, lovely. And so, yeah, so you, you're an ambassador for Specialized. So you, you, you must have some kind of power <laughs> in those legs. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, that came about because they advertised on Facebook, I think, uh, for ambassadors. And um, I'd had too much wine one evening and was like, oh, of course I can be an ambassador. <laughs> I mean, how hard can it be? Yeah. And, uh, and I filled out the form and I think I filled it out whilst quite drunk. So it was quite, I was, I, was, I think I sold myself quite well. <laughs> um, and uh, Anne, who was their, their marketing manager at the time, rang me up. And, uh, and she's quite, a, she's a lovely, but slightly serious French lady. And she was asking me, we know what what I thought about women's cycling how could I increase participation what my involvement would be what ideas I'd got what would be my dream event and then I laid out my dream event which I think involved a very large beer tent and some kind of disco or like band (laughs) and not it wasn't it was very definitely leaning more towards a a festival and there was almost (laughs) no mention of any cycling and she was like I, I think this is a great idea. <laughs> You're on the team. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and and it's been an amazing experience, actually. <laughs> so what do I do? So we originally, we used to um, organise rides and get women to come mm-hmm. along and just encourage them. And I used to organise, I mean, obviously this is pre-pandemic, uh, just mountain bike rides at our local trail centre and be like, come along. I'll be there. I'll be riding at this time. If you want someone to ride with, or you just want a bit of help, or you just want to know how to get started, come on down. I'm around. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll help you out. And we just had some brilliant women come and some amazing like success stories of people getting in, getting into it or getting back into it. So my friend B came and I, I didn't know her. I didn't really know her very well then. She, she's um, in our local cycling club. And she'd got two children and she'd lost the love of cycling, probably somewhere around having small children. Mm. And she said, oh, I feel too fat, too unfit, too, just too tired. And she came and rode with us a couple of times. And she just, she was like, you've given me the confidence to get back into it. And now she's, I don't know how many stone lighter, but oh my gosh, she's tiny now. I had to give her all my old cycling kit because she kept slimming out of the kit. (laughs) (laughs) I've got loads of stuff that's way too small for me now from when I raced and I was super skinny so I had to give her all that she's she races she's training her children are they all ride together and Mm. and she's just she's probably my biggest success story actually but I I just I that was way better than winning any races just seeing people come along and enjoy it and I took friends from work you know come come bring your bike come and ride with us you know these people who maybe rode once a year on a sunny Saturday mm. afternoon to the club, just really enjoying it. And now they go off to Scotland and ride all the big trails up there Amazing. on their on their holidays and stuff. So Oh I love it because I've done Yeah, I, I love it. I went from as I say, not sport but cycling was the first thing I went to when I took up sport. And it was that sort of thing that people were like, Oh, you'll love it. It'll be so amazing. And then and I was like Ugh, it's miserable I'm hot and sweaty and I'm breathing and I think I'm gonna die and my legs are oh and then eventually I was like oh this is so good there's cake in the middle and I'm just chatting with my friends and look at all this beautiful scenery and so I started doing sort of similar well I say I started I managed one or two before stupid old COVID hit just to say to people look just come and just ride doesn't matter what bike you have just come and we'll go along on the flats which are few and far between in the Swiss Alps as you can imagine yeah. <laughs> um but down in the valley and like you I just loved the fact that they were like huh that was actually yeah I quite like that and I don't know like none of them have got like massively into it but it just it's a, such a good feeling when you can say just try it look well all being well you're not going to die from being a bit sweaty (laughs) 
No, I do exactly. Yeah, um, and then you did a, a thing recently, um, which came from a very tragic event. Uh, I was reading your blog post about your friend who hurt himself in a snowboarding accident. And tell me, because you you wanted to raise some money for a wheelchair for him, um, but as you said in your blog, that you you know people know that you can do hard difficult gnarly stuff so you sort of think well who's going to sponsor me to just ride my bike how did you overcome that (laughs) uh we made it really really hard yeah (laughs) we made it uh so hard that most people who we know who ride bikes were like are you mad (laughs) (laughs) um so we yeah so my uh close friend Sarah who is another pediatric doctor her husband unfortunately had a a relatively high um, cervical spine injury whilst snowboarding Um, so he's paralyzed from kind of the shoulder blades down so he's not he's not got full use of his arm he's got some use of his arms but not enough use like Mm. like his dexterity in his hands and uh, are not great so he and then obviously no use of his legs so he is really significantly disabled and they've got two small children and they were, uh, they are a family that we um, had spent many holidays together. Sarah and I had our um, daughters at a similar time. So, and then we've worked together a lot. So we we're very close and I flew out with her when he was um, in intensive care over in France to support his family and her. And I just like, I'm a problem solver. I, I just wanted to fix it. And, and make everything better and I, I couldn't there was almost nothing that I could do other than provide some support and some meals um, and one of the frustrating things that eventually when Lars got home was that his wheelchair just wasn't fit for purpose like it just wasn't light enough and you know anybody who's tried to manage two small children in a double buggy mm. and then a wheelchair that the person in it cannot self-propel you know over any kind Ugh, of you know yeah. bobbly ground was just they couldn't they couldn't get out and about with their children um so we decided we'd try and raise some money for a new for a a kind of better wheelchair and um yes we planned this route this 200 mile off-road route um around the peak district which is where i live um and we decided that we would try and do it in kind of roughly 24 hours so we'd just ride it straight through Mm -hmm. um i think at that point i'd only ever ridden a hundred miles once off-road yeah um <laughs> and that wasn't a particularly like tricky route so uh we'd and when we were talking about it yesterday actually Nat and I um we were saying oh we haven't really done much training for it I don't <laughs> think we'd ridden longer than about three or four hours together in the build-up to it because there was there was quite a lot going on um but we had such amazing support like every every hour of the 20 five hours that we were out there for someone was by the side of the road people I haven't seen in 15 20 years out at the side of the road holding sweets or just cheering us on or just came out to say you know well done keep going we hope you're okay um but the route was (laughs) it was really hard pretty brutal there was about (laughs) six six and a half thousand meters of climbing so off-road yowzers yeah and uh yeah riding through the dark um yeah off-road in the middle yeah it was it was it was an interesting experience not one I'd rush to to repeat (laughs) are are we are we tipping into type three fun here (laughs) when it's not fun at the time and it's not even fun afterwards (laughs) it was quite sore afterwards Mm. but we'd done a 200 mile race uh the in 2019 across scotland which we did 100 miles then we stayed over in a on the floor of a youth hostel and then we got up and did another 100 miles and that was carrying all our kit Mm. and actually there were aspects of that that were harder than the 200 miles in one go Mm. because we had so much support whereas when we were in scotland we were in the arse end of nowhere there was nowhere to buy food there was nowhere to there was nothing to look forward to you just had to keep going whereas this we knew every sort of two or three hours our friends would be by the side of the road with a with a sandwich or a, a drink or a, a cheery wave and and that made the whole process so much easier uh, brilliant and how much yeah. did you raise all the money you needed yeah I think we raised about 
four, I think about four thousand pounds. So we did we did well, and then um, he got his wheelchair, and now and they're they're doing brilliantly now. Um, Sarah's just started to come back to work uh, one day a week, and their children are at nursery, and Loz is adapting um, to life. But it's yeah, it's so difficult for them, and and the pandemic has made it so much <sighs> harder than it needed to be. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine because you said he spent all of his time in rehab on his own because he couldn't have visitors. Yeah, no visitors. So it was about three months in hospital, no no visitors. I mean, what that does to a person's mental health. I think, you know, the fact that he'd got his daughters to, that he needed to get home to really like spurned him on and he worked so hard and he still works really hard now. He's always, he's forever working out uh, and training and that's, you know, getting his strength back and his fitness back. I mean, he's easy the whole the pair of them are just remarkable they've been so strong um and I and it really reminded me like every time it was hard and we were you know it was the middle of the night and Nat and I was suffering uh admittedly like especially when we we took a bit of a detour or I hadn't plotted the route very well to be mm. honest and we were <laughs> stuck in a what can only be described as a ravine ah, mm, interesting. <laughs> trying to find our way out and uh and we kept saying you know it's a privilege to be able to do this to yourself mm. you know if you've had an injury like that you know you'd give anything to be able to use your legs again and 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 to put yourself through this much pain so you know just sometimes you just have to remind yourself actually you know we are lucky to be able to do those things yeah and that kind of kept us going and it's a bit like what you were saying earlier about you know plumbing down into the depths of what you're capable of you're always more capable than you think you are you know your your, your mind will tell you to give up long before your body does sort of thing definitely and I and I think one of the things even before uh, this happened to Lars the reasons I take such pleasure in riding my bike and going outside is that and then sometimes I just have to think about and process some of the difficult things that I've seen at work and I, mm. I just sort of remind myself sometimes that you know there are so many children that I've cared for that won't get to to enjoy that you know, either because of disability or because they just, they won't live to adulthood. And, and I think, you know, I really, I sort of ride sometimes when I'm struggling or I'm feeling a bit, you know, reflective, I think, well, I ride for my, for my patients that didn't get to, don't get to enjoy that. And I think, well, I'll enjoy it twice as much just for, just for those guys. Oh, that's, yeah, I like that. I hadn't really thought of that like that before well not that I would because I don't have patience but yeah no I think that's great (laughs) I could send you some I've got (laughs) like not sure they'd be in terribly safe hands (laughs) I can you can send them to me and I can feed them melted cheese and and white wine from from this from Switzerland (laughs) maybe I'll just come and I'll leave them behind there's an idea (laughs) we have plenty of off-road cycling now I want to just touch on one thing before we finish up so on your website you describe yourself as doctor mother and lover now I find that very interesting (laughs) and I'm particularly interested in because when I was googling you like a crazy stalker I found an article in cycling weekly do you know the one I mean oh I'm worried now (laughs) (laughs) where they were you were taught you were the female perspective on how cycling is better for your sex life makes you uh, is is good for your sex life They did commission me to write some terrible articles for them. I think they recycle them every now and again because they're not very good at, <laughs> good at finding content. And there's so some, there's some terrible things about me back in the internet. <laughs> well, thankfully I didn't dig te- too deep then. Uh, no, no, I just like the whole um, yes, how se- se- cycling is good for your for your sex life. I really like that. Um, I'm going to have to try and investigate that a little bit further. <laughs> I think at the time there was a lot there was a lot of stuff in the in the press about it being very bad for men mm-hmm. which it, I mean you know, there certainly is some some aspects of it that are probably not good for uh not good for men okay. and I don't think they should do too much cycling um or be too uncomfortable but um I think they wanted a, a light-hearted um yeah yeah opposition to that because obviously it was a bit bad press if you were working for cycling weekly and telling people that they should not ride their bike to keep the sperm count high <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly there you go oh I guess I have plenty of children <laughs> yes well I know because I was just thinking actually about Mark Beaumont the record holder around the world cyclist I mean he's got two kids and he's like he spends his whole life on the bike so <laughs> there we go <laughs> Uh, plenty of plenty of cyclists have babies, as you say. Um, so uh, 
that was just brilliant hilarious and great it was so good to chat to you and hear a little bit about your life and the the history and 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 I just you know keep doing what you're doing because I think it's really it's so important to encourage women especially to get out and enjoy physical physical activity I know it's difficult right now for everybody um, but it is just so important and to to as you say even if it's not sport although sport has the plus plus on top of that but just find something that you enjoy something that's you know makes you happy and gives you something to be interested in yeah definitely thank you so much for having me on I really enjoyed it brilliant (laughs) I always enjoy talking about myself (laughs) (laughs) well I know the feeling (laughs) thank you so much that was great so were you paying attention at the beginning Phoebe Snedden set me a challenge. It's my new thing. I'm going to ask my guests to set me a challenge in their speciality, in their area of expertise. So Phoebe told me I need to get on my bike after the snow has melted, obviously here in Switzerland, and I have to choose a climb and I have to climb it. And then at the end of the summer, I have to climb it again to see how much faster I've got over the summer. So there we go. That's what I'm going to do. I'll keep you updated on social media. Thanks, Phoebe. That's a great challenge. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.